Welcome to This Is Life. All right, guys. Um, I hope that the beginning of the year has just been a blessing to you and to your family. And, you know, I don't know if you're one to do New Year's resolutions or challenges to yourself. But if you do and if you have, I pray that you and hope that you've been have been successful, that uh, you have been uh, just just really successful. Just in all ways, walks of life, even though we are handed sometimes life's lemons, I hope that you're making lemonade as it were. So, hey, again, welcome to everybody to today's podcast. Again, it is good to be back in the saddle. It's good to be back uh, just here, uh, wherever you're listening to me, in your car, your home, or you're maybe doing some stuff around the house, or I, I don't know. Uh, but wherever you are, I pray and hope that it's a blessing and, and, and that you're doing well. Uh, today is going to be an interesting show, I hope and pray. I have just noticed recently, and I know it's always like this, but maybe just my mind is in my heart and my my spirit is just more aware of it lately just because God, you know, is kind of putting in my heart to share something uh, today for you and for myself just to kind of put some things out there. But man, there's a lot of cranky Christians out there, a lot of Christians that are just complaining and in my mind complaining unnecessarily and more importantly unfruitfully you know the bible tells us to uh that that, that we're supposed to produce good fruit you know that when we when we hand out our seed you know remember the bible talks about the 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 parable of the sower how he would you know some of the seed would go into the into the rocks some of it would go into the fertile ground some of it would go you know and the the, the birds would would eat it up i mean uh when we're, no matter what we're doing in this life, we're constantly sowing seed. And, you know, it is the goal of every believer who says that they are Christ's, that they're followers of Christ, that with whatever sow that they see, they want it to be fruitful, right? They don't want it to be, you know, just take, taken away or cast away or never seen again or even just useless like a seed ends into a rock. You know, I'm not a by any means any kind of gardener uh, or any kind of um, green thumb that's not me, uh, but I do know well enough that if I want to plant something uh, that I can't go and put my seed in gravel and expect it to grow and be bountiful. The only thing that seems to grow in gravel is, is, is weeds. I actually have a gravel driveway and that's kind of a problem, but I do know that we you know weeds pretty much the only thing weeds and stray grass and, you know, just nuisance things grow out of rocks, nothing fertile, nothing, you know, bountiful, nothing that is going to produce any kind of benefit whatsoever. And I see that a lot of Christians are sowing seeds unnecessarily. And you may be like, well, Sean, why are you hovering upon the Christians? Well, that's what a pastor does. You know, we, we're, we're also here as, a, as Christians to keep one another accountable. I mean, if we're all in this boat together, right, if we're all in this, in this body of believers and it is our objective and our goal and our mandate from Jesus to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news of Christ, then I would like to think that we all have a responsibility to maintain um, th- that understanding to one another. You know, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm going to probably get a little bit harder on the Christians sometimes because, again, we are the ones who are responsible. God, you know, if God intended for us to not change the world and not have any effect positive on this world when we became a Christian, I believe he just would have given us immediate rapture as soon as we got saved. As soon as he said, Lord, come into my heart, boom, beam me up into heaven. But it didn't happen that way. Why? He gave us an opportunity to be here on this earth 
you know, to do as much good and to do to be the best example of Christ to as many people as possible, so that they would be able to have an opportunity themselves to receive the Jesus, you know, on knocking on their door. You know, I've often said it, you know, to many times before, maybe here on the podcast, but uh, people who know me have heard me say it. We're not that we don't save anybody, you know. We don't, as Christians, we don't save anybody. Our, our, you know, people hear all the time. You know, there's, you know, I I led so many people to the Lord, even, and, and we don't even lead people to the Lord. The, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is the one who draws Himself to them. We, however, our our goal and our objective, and especially it would just come naturally if you're a follower of Christ, you're. Uh, identity is just to be an example of Jesus, to be to show what the goodness of God looks like, and to so the graciousness of God, and the forgiveness of God, and the love of God, and the harmony of God, and all the things that we know that God has given us. We're supposed to turn that around and give to the world, and you know we're we're supposed to be the solution givers, not the sin you know pointer outers. <laughs> you know I believe that the majority of people, and again you know I understand that there's some people who have been so consumed and so used to the sin that they forget what sin even looks like. But I truly believe, and some people can call me naive, but I from my interactions with people, both non-believers and believers, most people people know right from wrong. Most people know and understand that if you murder somebody, that is wrong. That rape is wrong. That, you know, do, doing drugs is wrong. That drinking alcohol to excess is wrong. You know, the hurting a child is wrong. I mean, come on now. I mean, do I need to keep listing these things? Everybody knows, most people know the difference between right and wrong. And I think that Christians, we get really hung up on, for some reason, on just pointing out all of the bad and all the wrong and all of the sin that we that, that we put ourselves on some sort of self-righteous pedestal that we are it is our job to go and to police the world our job is not to go around and police the world our job is to go around and share people that there is a solution to the wages of sin and death okay there's a solution to the the desperation to the to the hopelessness to to the tragedy there is a solution in Jesus Christ to that that they can have peace where no peace seems to be found they can have forgiveness and love and kindness and goodness when those things seem to be as far away because of sin because of you know either the stumbling blocks that was put in front of them by somebody else or sin that they did themselves and get themselves in a situation if you look at the Bible, every single time Jesus interacts with somebody, for example, the woman who was caught in the middle of adultery, right? Do you know the story? They drug her out uh, after she it was, it was, you know, she, she's in the middle of committing adultery or she's a harlot or whatever. And I always found it interesting. They never brought the man out, but that's beside the point. Anyway. She's brought out, the accusers are there yelling and screaming and saying, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The Moses' law says we should stone her. What are you saying? And of course, Jesus, you know, knelt down next to her. They, you know, they had thrown her down to the ground and they were all picking up rocks, getting ready to stone. And they were trying to trick Jesus into, you know, saying that, uh, you know, comes something contrary to what he has been preaching and teaching about love and forgiveness. He started there trying to say Moses' law is we need a stoner. What is it you say? And Jesus, of course, wrote on the ground. Nobody knows what he wrote. Uh, you know, it could be maybe a message to uh, the people. Some people say that he was writing the sins of the men 
with the rocks in their hands. I don't know. All I do know is that he said something very profound. He says, to him who has no sin, cast the first stone. And then all of a sudden you start hearing thuds of rocks, right? People understanding and realizing that the sin that they're trying to call out in this woman is no different than the sin that they have in their own heart. And that if this woman, whom they probably maybe have in the past even slept with, who knows, but they know that their sin is no different or no worse than the sin of the person they're accusing and getting ready to throw rocks at, all of a sudden reality check comes into play. And of course, Jesus, after her, he said, after they have all gone, he says, woman, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. Now, friends, what an example. That's how we're supposed to react and receive the world. We're not supposed to be afraid of the world. We're not supposed to be afraid or, uh, you know, um, avoid the world in that regard. I, you know, I, I know that we're not supposed to be of the world, but guys, here's the thing. The world's going to happen around us regardless. And it's very important that we are strong, that we're not just, you know, have, uh, you know, children or babes in the Lord. You know, Bible, Paul speaks about when I was a child. I, you know, drank milk, but as an adult, I eat meat. And that only comes by maturing in the Lord and by practicing the, what the scriptures say. And of course, that comes from having a relationship with God, getting to know him much more than just a, a passing, uh, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian. No, we have to understand that, that there's the world's going to happen. Sin's going to happen and it's going to be around us. And that if, yeah, of course, if we're not protecting ourselves or protecting our children, then yes, we can be consumed by what's going on in the world. But I would like to think that Christ in me, that's my focus is way bigger and way more powerful than anything the world has to offer. I want to go to second Peter chapter four. Um, Second Peter, I'm sorry, sorry, take it back. First Peter, excuse me. First Peter chapter four, and we're going to start with verse one. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, in other words, he suffered to death, but since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, okay? Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Wherever you are right now, say the word done. Okay, done, right? That means that it is completed. We, we have, our days of sinning are done. Um, it says, arm yourselves with the same attitude. In other words, arm yourselves with the same attitude of a dead man, of somebody uh, you know, who uh, does not have any reaction to sin at all. Temptation is no more. It's not, it's not even a fleeting thought. <laughs> you know, if you were to have somebody bring me a dead body and you were trying to entice them to sin, it ain't going to do anything. It ain't going to do any good. And that's what this is saying. Since Christ has suffered to death in his own body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because he who has suffered to death in his own body is done with sin. Now we're still living. We still got air in our lungs. We still got our heart is still beating, but we have the power now in Jesus because he died on the cross gives us the power to understand that because Jesus lives inside of us now, the resurrected Jesus whom we've accepted and believed is now giving us power to now have an attitude of a dead man, okay? A dead man who's been resurrected in Christ and is now made new. The flesh is gone. The old man is passed away. We are now new creatures in Christ Jesus. 
Verse 2, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's you and me, and that's the power that we live in. This world has nothing to offer us anymore. The sin and the temptation of this world means nothing to us. Stand in that power. I, I see so many times about Christians being so worried about all the, 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 the enticements of the world all around us. And it's like, do you not understand the power of God lives inside of you? That you can turn those things off? That you can reject them? That you have an attitude? You have power over the devil? We give the devil so much credit when the devil is nothing in comparison to he who lives inside of us. He's given us more than conquerors. But yet, we walk around, oh my, oh my goodness, the sin's going to get me. Oh, the temptation's going to get me. I can't walk around. I can't, you know, be around people who aren't Christians because I'm going to be enticed to sin. Come on, stand up. Stand up and be strong. Be strong in your faith. Believe that God is going to provide you a way of escape like the Bible tells us when temptation tries to come. Verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. The time of sinning is gone. It is over. It was a part of your life. But now that you're a believer, right now that God has given you the strength and the power of love, no more sin does not affect you anymore. This is what pagans choose to do. They live in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. In other words, the world is the world. Now, it says, verse 4, they think it's strange, the world. They think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. I love that, that imagery there. They heap abuse on you. Yeah, you're probably not going to keep some of the same friends that you used to have because you aren't going to literally saturate yourself in sin like you used to. But that doesn't mean that we have to be afraid of sin. In fact, we ought to be more confident when we are around those who do debauchery and or you know and and carousing and whatever kind of you know name your sin, whatever they are. It ought to give you power. I mean, literally, we ought to be able to go into things like, like for example, people who are set free in Jesus, who truly have have been have been have been changed by the power of God. If God truly is a powerful as you say he is and let's say you haven't had a problem with alcoholism before but God has changed you and he's given you the power you ought to be able to go into a bar and not tempt you and if it does tempt you then get the heck out of there but honestly we we I think what happens is that we're so consumed with the 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 the, the fear of the world that we're not giving God enough credit that he's truly changed us and and I'm just tired of, of we Christians I'm tired of us just being so giving so much power to things that we are dead to that, that no longer apply to us and 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 that becomes honestly that becomes our god our god becomes more about making sure we don't sin rather than pleasing god and that to me is a tragedy tragedy you know especially if you know if you look at a lot of people think that god is some sort of like hover like he's some sort of cloud that he's gonna judge you and, and like send lightning every single time that you do any kind of sin right but that's not it at all in fact he tells 
tells us that he's given us grace. He's given us access to his forgiveness. And that, yes, we ought to be in, you know, living a life full of unintentional sin. In other words, and get it free. I'm sorry. We ought to be living a life free of intentional sin. That's what being a Christian's about. That we walk every single day, we make our, our minds set. As soon as we get up off that floor, get on the floor, and we get out of the bed, we say, We are going to live today according to Christ's and his principles and his love. And therefore, whenever we're faced with decisions and temptations, that we reject them, that we say, no, this is not good for me. It's not good for my relationship with God. It's not good from the commitments that I've made with other people. It doesn't bring any sort of forth good fruit. And that's what Bible says, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And we have standing on that power. And, you know, because God's not like that. God's not going to sit there and just be hovering above you, ready to pounce on you every single time you sin. No, you know, for a good example, remember when I was in high school and I took keyboarding class, okay, it's probably called computing class, computer class or tech lab or whatever they call it now, but every single student has to go through, especially in today's you know, world, to learn how to type and learn how to, you know, work on a computer. And I remember that you know, I when I, I had no problem, you know, typing, you know, plenty of words per minute. I don't know if it's 80 words per minute, whatever is a good passing grade in good keyboard class into typing words per minute. But I always found it interesting that my words per minute went down when I had the teacher hovering over my shoulder behind me watching me do it. Why? Because I was sitting there thinking not about the work that I was doing and, 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 and being successful and the task that I was trying to accomplish. I was more worried about the teacher over me telling me I'm going to do something wrong or telling me that I made a mistake. And it's no wonder that Christians are so consumed with you know, same sin in the church as in the world is because we're continually afraid of God, uh, you know, um, punishing us because that's all we hear about from the pulpit is about God's, you know, hatred of sin, which is true. But we ought to, in the same sentence, and even more so, in my opinion, talk about his graciousness and his forgiveness and his kindness and his goodness and his ability to take us out of our sin by us dying to ourselves. And that will go a lot further, I believe, in the kingdom of God. Now you say, well, let's, let's finish the scripture. Then I'll tell you how what motivated me to 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 come to this conclusion. All right, so let's go back to First uh, uh, Peter, chapter four. I lost it here, so give me a second, and I will find it back in my on my computer here. All right. Verse 4 says, they think it's strange, the pagans, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. We're, of course, going to get a little rad sometimes, if, especially because people like to have uh, others, you know, misery loves company, that kind of deal. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They. See, at the end of the day, we're not responsible for anybody else's sin but ourselves. Now, we can we have to be mindful that we don't cause a stumbling block to other people. We'll talk about that later on. But at the end of the day, it's going to be you and the Lord, me and the Lord. We're responsible to give an account for our sins and for our lives. And now either we're going to have Jesus to be head of our life and, and he's going to be the one who because love is going to cover our sins or we're not going to have accepted him and therefore uh, judgment it will be swift and, and, and present for us. 
For this is the reason, verse 6, the gospel was preached even to those who now are dead, so that they may be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Okay, guys, it's important. That okay, you, regardless of if you believe or not or not that the end times are coming, two thousand years ago they were still saying the end is near. So, obviously, they were concerned about it. We ought to be concerned about it, especially two thousand years later. But at the end of the day, whether or not the end happens in our lifetime or not, there's still a responsibility for us to know that what we are preaching, saying, doing, and praying is scriptural is 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 mindful is beneficial to this world is also something that god directs us to do that's why it says to be clear-minded and self-controlled okay we have that's our responsibility is to like really be mindful of our actions and what we say what we do you know to to put aside the the fleshly desires things that are going to end of the day heart harm excuse me at the end of the day going to harm us or others be clear-minded self-controlled so that we can pray and that we above all love each deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, love that. Above everything else. Doesn't matter. Above everything else. Above calling out sin. Above being worried about the world. About all of these other things. Love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Man, that's profound. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay? That's the directive of the Lord. Each one of us should use, check this out, it's so good. Each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I love that the body of Christ and even mankind in general, we all have our strengths and our things that we are good at. You know, I mean, I heard one person say, if you, you know, if you're looking for a job, maybe you're really not happy with the things that you're doing as far as unemployment and you're in your full-time job and what you make your money on, you know, and you really desire to do something different, what are you good at? What are some things that you like to do and are good at? You know, that's that's everybody's dream, right? To make a living, and a profitable living that you are doing something that you enjoy to do, that you are good at. And we all have those things that we do, that we do well, and, how, and that we enjoy doing at the same time. And my point in that is that we can do the same thing in ministering and giving to others and to God. Whatever talents or whatever gifts that you have, there's all sorts of, the Bible says right there, at faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. It's the, it's the, it's the, meth, it's the message that's sacred, not the method. So whatever method that you have, that you are able to, that you can give to the Lord, you know, and give to people and to, to, be benefit, to, to benefit the kingdom, do it. Challenge yourself to practice it, to do whatever it is, whether it be art, whether it be music, whether it be, you know, just, uh, I, I don't know, if you're really good at giving handshakes. I don't know what it is, but you do. You know what you're really good at. Use that to bring more king people to the kingdom. I'm not at the end of the day. More importantly, even than that, just do it just to bless other people, and that will naturally draw people to the kingdom. 
If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So if you're going to speak, uh, make sure you're speaking things that are righteous and kind and loving and kind that are that are that God would want you to be speaking. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So this past weekend, um, Saturday night, man, it was it was kind of it was a fun. Uh, I, I you know I don't know for some reason it's just one of those nights I just couldn't sleep right. And I I don't know if it was because I was excited about the Super Bowl. Or, you know the Chiefs obviously won. Go Chiefs! I mean I'm, I'm a Saints fan number one, but I mean it's fun to see your local team win as well. I don't think necessarily that was it. I think I just just one of those nights I just didn't want to go to bed. And uh, I we were having a Super Bowl party the next day, and I had to put on some you know some things in a slow cooker, but I couldn't start until around midnight, so I stayed up. To about midnight, put that in there, and then went to my to my chair, and uh, I think Undercover Boss was on for the Campgrounds of America, and I thought that was kind of a fun thing to watch because we like to go camping, and sometimes we stay at the KOA, so that was intriguing, and then I ended up falling asleep during that, and I think I slept for maybe about one or two hours. I woke up around 3.30 or 4, and the TV was still on, and it had switched over. Uh, I must have been watching ESPN or whatever, because all of a sudden I realized that the Australian Open was on. And, of course, Australia, being on the complete other side of the world, if you want to watch it live, you have to watch it in the middle of the night. And what do you think I did? Do you think I went to bed? No, of course not. You know, Djokovic versus Thamen, I think, is what it was, was the men's final. And uh, by the time I started watching it, uh, the Djokovic, you know, who was the who was the favored, who was, you know, the, the all-star, the, the mega tennis star he was down two games to one and it's best of five so the first one to get to three to win three games out of five wins the national wins the championship and all of a sudden you know i'm like this is very intriguing and they put a note on there saying that Djokovic is 0-7 in major titles, went down by two. And, of course, he's now the underdog. And any time you see, you know, uh, the, 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 the champion, the one who's the favored one to win, is down, this always makes it more intriguing because all of a sudden now you there's a story here and you got to see how it ends out. Now, that's not my point. My point in this podcast is not to talk about tennis, although it was very intriguing and Djokovic ended up winning and it was pretty awesome to watch. But what I was noticing during watching the tennis show, this tennis show, watching the Australian Open, is there are these the, the ball boys and the ball girls, the people that are there to um, to catch it, like if the, the ball hits the net or if it hits the back you know, board or, or whatever, their, their job is to stand or to, to really kneel on either side of the net and in the back. And if the ball goes awry and is in the play area, their job is to hightail it to the ball and hightail it back. And what I'm not talking about, they these kids, and they seem to be kids like kids, about young people, right? They were not just meandering over to the tennis. No, man. It was like as if they were running a 100-meter dash every single time it was their opportunity to go get the ball. And, I mean, it's like if you can imagine just a sudden, you know, you hear the, the judge go, huh, or whatever he does, you know, just say, to, to, there was a, a uh, you know a miss or whatever, and the ball was in the middle of the court. I mean, these kids would immediately uh, just stop there, or not stop. They would immediately go and race toward the ball and could grab it and run and take it back. Now, I found this really interesting because I kind of liken this to 
us as Christians, right? Our job, just like I said here recently, it's in those scriptures in First Peter chapter 4, our job is to what? To whatever our gift is that we have received from the Lord to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms, and that if we should do it, if we're going to serve, we should do it with the strength that God provides. Now, we're very good at talking about how awesome God is. We sing about it every Sunday. You know, we, we worship the Lord. We talk about his goodness, his grace, his strength, how powerful and wonderful and omnipotent God is. But yet when it comes to God inside of us, all of a sudden the, we get real quiet, right? But again, I'm talking about today about realizing and recognizing the power of God's in us to overcome the world. Whenever we are asked to serve and to serve the world, we ought to be like those kids in the Australian Open or in, every, in tennis where we are just full force, 100% every single time that the job is given to us, we give it all that we got. So much so that it is noticeable around the world that, man, those kids really, they really are doing their very best to make sure that their job is accomplished. Just imagine that. Imagine if Christians all across this world, and even America, we'll let it down to even America, even Christians in America were giving 110% to serving God and then using God's service to serve others, to serve this world, what a difference that could make. But we don't do that. In fact, we spend most of our time complaining and whining and and and, and petitioning to the to the to, to the world to stop being like the world. A good example of that, I want to kind of do some commentary here recently. Let me see if I can find the article here. That way I can kind of, kind of set up what I want to talk about in a second. I mean, I heard about this on this radio this morning, and I was like, no, there is no way that can be true. There's no, there has to be an Onion article. No, unfortunately, it is not an Onion article. It is true. Here's the headline. Christian activists suing the NFL for $867 trillion after, quote, pornographic halftime show. As soon as I heard this, I just facepalmed. I'm like, really, dude? Like, man, I mean, as Christians have a hard enough time, you know, people not thinking that we're loony bins. And you got to go and, and think you're doing something good for the kingdom by calling others and calling and saying yourself that you're going to sue the NFL and and the halftime show for being the halftime show and the NFL and doing what they do. I mean, you might as well go and sell, you know, you sue, you know, the baker for baking cookies or the, you know, bartender for serving alcohol or the the, 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 the the lumberjack for cutting wood. I mean, for crying out loud, that's what they do. Entertainers entertain, you know, uh, NFL players play football. Here's We'll have a little bit more commentary on me. And some of you have probably already lost you. Some of you may agree that the halftime show was, quote, pornographic. Uh, regardless if it's, quote, pornographic, why did you let, if it really offended you, why did you watch it in the first place? But again, we'll have some commentary about that here in a second. I want to now play uh, this 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 guy's. Uh, he had a rant, right? He went on Facebook and ranted about his now his his life's goal apparently is now to sit out and just and, and sue the Pepsi and the NFL and anybody who had anything to do with the halftime show 
Hey, good afternoon there, folks. I'm driving down the road and just pulled over the side of the road here. Just uh, felt a real urgency to make this video. Uh, before you uh, overreact or just, uh, you know, just have your mindset, get, just, get, just give me a chance to be able to finish here, all right? I've been pondering all day the debauchery of last night's uh, Super Bowl halftime. Which, by the way, I didn't even have it come into my house. I turned it off just because of past Super Bowls. Knew what it was going to be like and didn't want to let that spirit come into my house. But uh, I viewed some some stuff today. I saw some, I, did, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I saw parts of it today. I saw some visuals from it. I saw, uh, it's okay if I say it, I, grown, grown audience here. If you want to, go ahead right now and share this because I think this is important. Uh, I saw a lot of crotch shots. Dare I say that? Crotch shots from last night's Super Bowl. I'm, I'm serious as a judge here. I think uh, I'm, I'm looking for a lawyer out there or somebody who would join me in a class action lawsuit against Pepsi, the NFL, my local cable company. I don't, I don't know who all we would sue, but sue as many people as we want to for pandering pornography. Maybe that's not the right charge. I'm not a lawyer. Contributing to the delinquency of a minor. What we saw yesterday was a strip club uh, performance at halftime of the Super Bowl. And you would say, well, coach, you can turn it off. You don't have to watch it. Well, that, that's true. I could. But unfortunately, that was streaming into the homes of people before they had any idea. There was no warning. There was no uh, caution under the age of 18 or caution under the age of 13. We're watching a football game. People turn in to watch a football game. And the next thing you know, what do you have in front of you? You've got debauchery. Yeah, folks, are we going to protect our children or not? Are we? Once you consider this, I've asked several people today and they didn't know, they didn't really know what to tell me because I said, you know, coach, you could just turn it off. If you don't like it, just turn it off. Well, I turned in, tuned in as did millions of people tuned in to, to watch a football game. I didn't tune in to watch a porn show. I didn't, that's not why I tuned in. There was no warning. I've asked several people today, is it possible? Could I, uh, could I take my daughter? I have two very attractive daughters. Could I take my daughters and go into a local school and make a presentation with them dressed like uh, Jayla was dressed last night, take them into fourth, fifth, sixth grade class and let my daughter sit down and twerk, do crotch shots, pole dancing? Could I do that in a local public school? I don't think so. Well, why are they allowed to pump that right into my home? Now, now real quick, I, I, got, I had to stop there. Um, talk about false equivalency. Uh, number one, you, you're right. You absolutely cannot bring a show that, like the halftime show we saw, um, you know, with the, what he says, crotch shots or, you know, scantily clad women dancing and suggestively, whatever. Uh, which, by the way, it's not like entertainers haven't been doing this for 50 years, but that's beside the point. But he's right. Yeah, you cannot take that into a local school, an elementary school, and be like, hey, I have a show for you, and then have brings in polls and everything else. But you know what? Those kids 
kids have nowhere else to go. If you're going to bring in that kind of show into an auditorium to any kind of school, uh, the kids are a captive audience. They have to sit there and watch whatever is being presented. Uh, that's not the same thing as a show on television where in 2020 you have hundreds of perhaps thousands of channels you can tune else you can tune to uh, you, you i mean for crying out loud i mean uh, and regardless you could go outside and play go toss the football you know while you're waiting you could go you know have dinner or you could you know maybe play a board game i mean there's countless things you can do while the halftime show was going on, if it really offends you that much. Now, real quick, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and pretend like it was not a potentially offensive show. I, I think that th they did raise the some eyebrows. I, I think that there's things that they could have done differently as entertainers. You know, I, I don't have no problem with even maybe putting some sort of uh, quote-unquote warning at the beginning, some images maybe, you know, for mature audiences or whatever. I get that. But at the end of the day, it's not Pepsi's job. It's not Jennifer Lopez's job. It's not Shakira's job, the dancer's job, the NFL, the Chiefs, or the 49ers, anybody else associated with any of that to raise my child or your child, sir. It is your responsibility. When are we going to protect our children? Um, that's your job. That's your responsibility to protect your child. And if you, yes, you absolutely could just turn it off or do something else or maybe make it a teaching moment. I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, there's a hundred thousand other things you could do, but yet you got to sit there again and be a wimp Christian and blame uh, the world for being the world. And then complaining that it's in your house when you're the one who turned it on in the first place, you are responsible, sir. If it really offended you that much, if you really thought it was something that offensive, uh, it is your responsibility not anybody else to protect your child and we're actually talking more about protecting children because they really i guess if you want to make a point you go toward go for the children anyway here we go continue on without my approval say well again coach what's well, free speech it's free speech and you don't have to watch the football game you're missing the point i was watching the football game i tuned in to watch the football game I didn't tune in to see J-Lo's crotch. I didn't tune in to see her scratching. Whatever she was doing down there, I didn't. Is there something out there continue, uh, contributing to the delinquency of a minor? I wonder if there are any men, any moms or any dads across America that had to explain to their 10 or their 11, their nine-year-old child, what it was that they just witnessed on the halftime of the Super Bowl. See, we're going to continue to get this kind of stuff as long as we put up with it. Uh, by the way, regardless if we put up with it or not, sin is going to happen regardless. Again, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Carry on. And I'm looking for a lawyer out there who knows about, what do they call those things? Class action lawsuits where a group of people say enough is enough. The scriptures tell us you can't base your lawsuits, I guess, on the Bible. But my Bible tells me not to bring any un unholy thing before my eyes. It tells me never, ever to bring something like that before children. That it would be better for me to have a millstone thrown around my neck 
that they put a a a porn expo expo exposition in front of the eyes of young people. And it happened last night. Pumped it into our living rooms without our approval and without a warning. Folks, I don't think that's free speech. I don't think they can get away with it. I think they just do that because they're big and they're bullies and they have an agenda. Now, a lot of you out there say, oh, coach, you're always going after. Well, listen, really? Really? Do the mind of our young kids not matter to you? Does the innocence of young children not matter to you? But it doesn't matter to me. I'm sorry, it does matter to me. And the First Amendment of the Constitution may give you the right to do your pole dancing at an event where I pay to come to watch pole dancing. But it doesn't give you the right to come and do it in my living room. Folks, that was pandering pornography involving a minor. What well, wasn't involving a minor? Two minors. I'm looking for a lawyer. Anybody know one out there? Have them contact me. Class action lawsuit. NFL, Pepsi, local cable companies, and I'm sure we can dig up a few more. We're going we're gonna to continue to get this kind of stuff. What happened to, why not at halftime, the Ohio State marching band? What, what happened to that? Why not some great high school band to come and perform? Why did they give us crotches and pole dancing piped into our living room? For those under the age 13. Will you join with me? Will you help me find a lawyer? Class action lawsuit contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Okay, so I don't know if he actually said it in this. I can't remember. But he's, he's suing, or he plans to, if he can find himself a lawyer, to sue Pepsi for $876 trillion, I think. Okay, okay I, there's so much to even say. And, and I get it. There's probably some of you listening. They're like, uh, Sean, everything he's saying, I, I agree with. And look, he had a lot of good points. And we're going to talk about the good points he had. Um, I am by no means, again, let me say it, Clearly, for everyone who's hearing me and listening, I know I'm not excusing the dancing and the provocativeness and the pole dancing and the scantily cladness. I'm not excusing any of that. I think that especially if you have a difficulty with lust or, uh, you know, have a weakness for um, being tempted, you know, for, for whatever reason, then obviously turn it off. Obviously, you have the power to overcome the world so there's no reason why you don't have the power to overcome that temptation and you know if this were to happen in my house you know uh, my, like my, during the halftime show my daughter was so wrapped up watching cartoons on my phone she didn't even care you know I, it was not that, bad, that big a deal and uh, most of the people that I was hanging around weren't even watching it anyway we had a big group and a big party that had gotten together for uh, a couple friends of ours who were having a birthday celebration and I look around nobody's really caring about what's on the screen because we're all just doing what we would do because we're Christians and hanging out with people. We're not going to sit there and lusting over Shakira or J-Lo or whatever they're doing. I didn't even know they had crotch shots until I heard about it later on because somebody else complained about it. I did not even see that part of the show. But it just looks like... 
we are blaming the wrong people. We're, we, we're blaming Pepsi in this case, or the artists who get paid to raise eyebrows, who get paid to, 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 to you know, go out there and, and be noticed, you know, for their, you know, so they can sell records or go on other tours or advertise a product. I mean, that's what they do. And if you don't like it, then don't support it. If you don't like it, then turn it off. If you don't want your children to see it, it's pretty easy. And I know he said that several times about, well, you know, I know what you're saying, you know, tell me to turn it off. I don't like it, but you're missing the point. The point, no, there is no other point. It's not Pepsi's job. It's not the halftime's job to raise my child. Now, I think it's important to go to the scriptures that he was referring to about, because he made a very point, very clear about, don't you care about the innocence of children. And he also talked about how it's, you know, if you cause a child to sin, that it's better for a millstone to be wrapped around your neck, which is absolute scripture. And it's absolutely true. And so I figured, well, why don't we just go and let's talk about it? So let me see if I can find the scriptures he's referring to one moment. Okay. So if you go to Matthew chapter 18, that's where he came from. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. Okay, so let's just study this out, and we'll talk about it. Um, and he said, I tell you the truth, and this is Jesus talking, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's talk about what that means. That is obviously, don't, I don't think that means become immature, but I think what that means is that completely trusting of your parent. In other words, we have died to ourselves until what we believe and what we are, our, our flesh and our mind and our own selves, we have gotten rid of ourself and now have Jesus. My daughter is completely reliant and her, on her mom and dad. The, the, her world is me and my wife, as it should be, and every other children. Why It's my responsibility as a father, her, her mother's responsibility to be as loving and as kind, but also, you know, make sure that we are guiding her in the correct decisions and, you know, uh, to discipline her when it needs to be disciplined, but love and doing all the time, no matter what. And are really, you know, I understand, like I've said before, I'm all, she's on loan to me. I only have her for a short amount of time. Um, and the time that I do have with her, the 18 years I do have with her, I have to make sure that I'm raising, that I'm, I, the, 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 I'm making it so that I have the absolute best possible chance for her to become successful, to become kind, to become uh, prosperous, to become mature, to become wise, to, to have the absolute best best chance in life to succeed in whatever she wants to do in life and whoever she wants to be around. She's just a good person. Uh, at the end of the day, we want our children just to be good people. And of course, ultimately as well, a, a, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and following his lead and his footsteps, like my like his mother and I, like her mother and I are trying to do for ourselves and then transferring that to her by example. And so that's what he's talking about. Become like little children. In other words, you become completely trusting in the Lord. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. In other words, whoever treats children like God treats us his children, they are, you know, just full of innocence and full of, of, of just expectation and trusting regardless. I mean, think about it. Think about all the children who do have awful f- parents, but yet they still love their parents regardless because that's all they know. And their parents could beat them or do drugs around them or do something, and they still love their mom and dad. I mean, how many foster children, even though they were abused or put in awful situations and to where they had to be pulled and taken away from their parents, still long for mom, mom and dad. And, and you even may be listening. Maybe you didn't have a good mom or dad growing up. Maybe you were abused or maybe you were, you know, hurt in a, tor- a horrible way. That's a pain. It really hurts because you long for a good mom or you long for a good dad. And that never really ever goes away. And, and praise God for those of us who did have really good parents, but a lot of people don't. And that's what he's talking about in this case, that that if you welcome children, if you, if you see the goodness in them and you are loving and kind to them and you welcome them and you, you know, be a good example to them, God then will reward you because of that. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So let's talk about that for a moment. What are some ways that we could cause a children or a little one, you know, a, a child to sin? I will tell you, I think that there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of ways to do that. I don't, however, believe that a televised performance at halftime uh, is uh, worthy of that distinction. I just don't. You could disagree with me. But I just, I truly just don't. I think, however, maybe offering alcohol to a minor, that's a definite cause one to sin. Uh, Abuse towards children in any way. Physically, spiritually, physically, emotionally, sexually, absolutely. That is definitely sin. Um, what are some other ways? Maybe teaching your children to lie or to, you know, to, to, to do something uh, wrong, like steal for you. I mean, how many times have you seen that before where people, you know, will teach their children to steal at a store? I mean, again, I'm not going to sit here and just try and label all the ways that you can cause somebody else to send child or otherwise. I think that you, you are, as a, you know, as a, or a smart person who's ever listening to me, anybody, you, you can, you can decide for yourself and understand what I'm trying to get at here. But again, a televised performance, I don't believe, because I think the judge would do that. The judge would be like, sir, there's a lot of other things you could have done besides watch that show. I mean, the other thing is, he's watching football, for crying out loud, right? I mean, football. Uh, it's not like you're watching, you know, uh, Bob Ross paint uh, happy trees on a picture here. You're talking about grown men who are paid to run as fast as they can against each other and try and knock each other out. And so, I mean, it's not like you're watching, you know, some little, a little, you know, opera on TV. You're watching, I mean, what a lot of people would say it's violence. And some people would even say that the NFL itself, the violence in the NFL would cause somebody to sin, you know, because you, re, you know, re, are creating an atmosphere of party or creating an atmosphere of ruckus or creating an atmosphere of violence. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of stories of parties that have happened or fights in stands, you know, or fights at houses that, you know, against people who 
have opposing views of, of their team and whatever else. I mean, it definitely can cause a situation. Where is this guy last year when the artist, the male artist was shirtless? Yeah, I didn't hear him talking about complaining, but it just sounds like to me that this guy may have an issue with, with, with lust. And so he's just trying to make it to where everybody, you know, can, can needs to be, uh, you know, needs to follow in my same temptation, you know, because I'm the one I was offended, so therefore everybody ought to be offended. Um, we get offended too much as believers, and we have the solution. Either we're more than conquerors, or we're not. But yes, but the Bible says that Satan goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There's no question that the devil it does. Go out and seek whom he can consume and tempt to sin and pull pull them away from God. I get that. But I also know that I, as a Christian, am more than a conqueror. I am fully persuaded that life, death, and everything else, nothing else, can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus my Lord. I'm convinced of that. That means no sin, no temptation, J-Lo, Zakira, twerking, whatever, is not going to pull me away from the Lord. And if I'm raising my children right, it ain't going to pull them away either. If they see me being strong and making right decisions and good decisions and every single thing I do, I put my hand into the Lord, and that's an example to them that they can have power over the temptations as well, that is what we need to put our heart and our mind and our souls and our energy and our money into. That's how you protect your children. You protect your children by giving them examples of God and His grace and His love and His strength and His and His overcoming abilities. That's where you put your, your efforts into, not complaining because the world is doing worldly things. Anyway, see, I get fired up with this stuff, but it's just like we just we're are, are, we're so misguided sometimes. We're so worried and so full of 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 energy to try and uh, you know. Uh, I mean, it's easy. It's, I get it. The easy thing to do is to blame sin. The easy thing to do is to blame evil people for our problems. But the harder part is to number one. Fix your own problems, because the Bible says very plainly, you know, to cast out your own sin and get rid of and, and and before you even look at somebody else's sin. Okay, so that's number one. And I don't know about you, but I'm still working on that part. But even if I were to get the honking beam out of my own eye and to be able to look at other people's sin, I mean, there's way more things to me that are more important than to be going around telling everybody about all the sin that they have. Because again, everybody knows right from wrong, whether or not they agree or they listen. Most people, in fact, I, I, I won't say all, but I'll say most people have an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 7. It says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come. In other words, temptations are a way of life. Okay? I, I, I don't care how long you live on this earth, uh, what age you are, what age your children are, what age your spouse is. It doesn't matter. Temptations are a part of life. Now, they can come in many ways. They can just come naturally. They can just, you know, all of a sudden your mind goes to a place. You're like, well, where did that come from? And you have to, you know, cast it out like the Bible says. Vain, every vain imagination that tries to exalt itself, capture it and cast it away. You have that power. Okay, you don't have to sit there and ruminate and think about it. No, you just throw it away like, okay, I don't know where that came from, you know, but okay, we'll just keep on moving on. 
or you're tempted by someone else, which is what the next part of the verse is. But woe to the man through whom they come. So, you know, yes, sin is going to happen. Temptation are going to come. They're a way of life. Um, and definitely uh, beware the person who is out there causing others to sin. That's a big deal. Okay, again... They're going to have their just desserts, just rewards, those who cause people to sin. Whether or not uh, uh, the halftime show is falls under that category, I guess we can sit here and debate that. I personally don't believe so, again, because we have the power, not like we sit there being forced to watch J-Lo dance on a pole, right? No one sat there and said, you have to sit here and watch this. You know, that would be causing me to sin, you know, I guess if I am being forced to watch J-Lo dance. Uh, again, it's just unbelievable. We have the power. Like, remember like He-Man? I have the power. Okay, for those of your 80s kids, you'll get that. But that's the same thing. I mean, that we have the power in Jesus to overcome and be not tempted by sin. Everyone say that in your car. We go, I have the power. Okay, anyway, moving on. Verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet, two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the hellfire. Okay, so again, this is not physically saying cut off your hand or your feet or your eye. Because honestly, if you're at that point, man, you, you really need to die. You really need to like, you're way far gone. If, if you you literally cannot stop sinning if your eye is you know that you have the only the only per, the only thing left you can blame is the fact that you have an eye is the only reason why you can't stop sinning then i guess you can pluck it out but i don't believe anybody is that far gone i believe that every single person can stop sinning and can resist temptation long before they have to cut off their hand foot or pluck out their eyeball just stop sinning Literally, just stop falling into temptation. Stop doing or going or being around things that cause you sin. If someone is causing you to sin, shut the door on them. Remember the Bible we just read here, uh, last last of the verses, about those whom are going to, uh, you know, come and make fun of you because you're no longer saturated in sin like they are. Uh, okay, just don't be around those kind of people. My point in all of this, guys, is just that we have the power to overcome sin and death in Jesus Christ. You know, and, and, and it's like I don't understand why we give so much power to to the devil, number one. I mean, to sin, to temptation. The We're, we're supposed to have the attitude of a dead man. Dead men can't sin. Okay. Yes, we're still living this earthly life, but spiritually speaking, we are resurrected in Jesus. Our old man, our old fleshly ways, they're no more. And so therefore, that's what gives us the power to say no to temptation and no to sin. And that, my friends, is much more advantageous to teach our children that they have the power to overcome temptation rather than be like, no, 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 you can't watch this. Turn off the TV, honey, quick, turn it off. We don't want our children to be, to, to, to be, you know, to, 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 they get this awful visuals in their head and they're gonna be tempted and now they're oh no they're they're gone j-lo has consumed our children because of her dancing pole ways come on now 
Come on now, really? Give your children the power of Jesus. Teach them to overcome temptation, even now, so that when the true life happens, when they get to the age of accountability, they have an understanding that God has given them the power over sin and death in Jesus Christ, and that they can overcome temptation. They can overcome the devil. They are free from the laws of sin and death because of him, because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand firm in that today. Be like dead men resurrected in Christ Jesus. Stand in the power. You're more than conquerors. If you do all these things, I promise you, your life will be so much full of, more full of freedom and grace and power than you've ever seen. And God will bless you because of it. Until next time, guys, God bless you. Aloha and mahalo.